0: We are super excited that you've joined us for today.
1: We are, because I've got a question for you. Have you ever tried to do something nice for someone else and had
0: it totally backfire? Oh, yes, definitely. Sometimes it happens,
1: and that's exactly what happened in today's case.
0: Oh, no. What is that saying about good deeds going?
1: (laughs) No good deed goes unpunished? unpunished.
0: Yes, that's what I'm
1: calling this case is no good deed. Oh, wow. You have me intrigued. This is such a sad case because the beautiful Kenyatta Baron was just trying to be kind to her children's father by giving him a temporary place to stay. But sadly, the kindness would come at the price of her life and that of her child. I do have to put a trigger warning in today because we will be discussing a very violent crime that involves children.
0: The cases involving children are always so hard.
1: They are. There are so many times that I became emotional while researching this case.
0: But my makeup is on point today, Melissa. I'm sorry.
1: It might not be after this case. If you need to skip ahead during parts, please do. Absolutely. Kenyatta, or Kiki, was a single mom of two beautiful children, a little boy, Ronnie fourth and a little girl, Ronivia. In 2018, Kiki was in the process of upgrading her education at the Hillsborough Community College in Florida, but still managed to be a hands-on mom, never too tired to play football or read stories. She was trying to create a better life for her two children when she allowed the two children's father, Ronnie, to move in with them for just a short period of time. He was recovering from a drive-by shooting that he had been the victim of five months previous, and he had nowhere else to go. No other family would take him in. That's what he led Kiki to believe, and so she took pity on him.
0: Oh, and he's going to take advantage of her kindness.
1: Mm-hmm. He is a huge dirtbag. Ronnie O'Neill III was born on July 27th, 1988. He was the second son born to his mother, Lisa. His mother had had his older brother, Alonzo, two years before he was born. But after that relationship failed with Alonzo McNar, she became involved with Ronnie's father for a short time and became pregnant. Ronnie would grow up never knowing his biological father and only meeting him for the first time when he was an adult himself, and they would continue to have an estranged relationship. It was as an adult that he learned that his dad, Ronnie O'Neill II, suffered from bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. That might have been why Lisa chose to raise her two boys on her own. She would later marry Billy Smith and have another brother for Alonzo and Ronnie. And can you guess what Ronnie's younger brother's name was? Rolonzo? No. (laughs) For the first man she was with was Alonzo, and his son was named Alonzo. The second man she was with was Ronnie, and her second son is named Ronnie. And then the third guy she's with is Billy, and his son's name is... Billy! Yeah.
0: Sorry, I thought you like meshed the two together. I thought I was being so clever.
1: It was definitely a trend in this family to name children after their father.
0: Everyone's so creative. Yeah.
1: Nothing wrong with it. I just thought it was interesting.
0: It is because not often in a family can all of the sons be named after their dads. That's right. Without having the same name. No shade at all, but it's just an unusual circumstance. Right.
1: Billy provided a father figure for all three boys, and the home was described as a stable one. Ronnie developed a love for music as a child from singing in the church choir. When Ronnie was five years old, Lisa arranged for a group of extended family members to watch over the two older boys while she and Billy were away. While being watched by these family members, both boys were violently sexually assaulted.
0: (gasps) Really? Mm -hmm. By family members? By family
1: members. They told their grandma about it, but it was just kind of brushed underneath the rug. What? A dirty little family secret.
0: And you said violently.
1: Yeah. That's how Alonzo described it.
0: That's horrific.
1: Because it was kept secret... No one was held responsible, and Alonzo and Ronnie never received any help to process
0: the trauma. Did anyone tell their mom?
1: Yeah, they all knew about it.
0: Oh, so it wasn't kept from the parents? No.
1: Oh. But that is something that a
0: five-year-old would
1: desperately need help processing.
0: Absolutely they would. And how do you just carry on with family functions knowing that, okay, that cousin over there or that uncle over there is a predator? They did, though. No, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that is really sad. And it teaches those boys that it's okay that this happened to you. No one's going to get in trouble for it. Exactly. And you have to continue to be around your attacker.
1: Mm hmm. And so you're always constantly on guard. Yeah. Alonzo would later say that Ronnie would quote, always act like it didn't bother him. But I could tell that it bothered him. Family members would notice that as a child, Ronnie would have frequent conversations aloud with God, almost to the delusional level because they were so realistic. But it was only in hindsight that these conversations would seem strange. At the time, I'm guessing that it probably seemed pretty cute.
0: Oh, yeah. To you hear your little boy praying. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, it
1: wasn't like he was purposely praying. He was just having full on conversations with God.
0: Yeah, you would think that was cute.
1: Mm hmm. During his time in school, Ronnie struggled to get good grades. Academics just weren't his thing. Instead, he did well at sports and became involved in the Reserves Officer Training Corps, an elective program that he could take while in high school. With the help of the Reserves training, football, and music to help keep him grounded, Ronnie graduated from East Bay High School. After graduating, Ronnie applied to the U.S. Marine Corps, but failed the entrance exam several times. Oh, and you only get so many shots, don't you? I think so. And he just couldn't pass. He wasn't strong academically. Leaving that dream behind, Ronnie began to write music and perform in a hip-hop duo. He worked various odd jobs in a casino and as a truck driver. After meeting Kiki, the couple moved to Hillsborough County, Florida, and had their first child, Ronivia.
0: After Ronnie! Yes!
1: On July 29, 2008. Renivia was born prematurely with cerebral palsy and was later diagnosed with autism. She had to use a wheelchair the majority of the time and was unable to communicate verbally. Instead, she was taught small amounts of sign language to communicate. Less than three years later, the couple welcomed their second child, a son that they named... Ronnie. Exactly. Ronnie O'Neill IV, keeping with family tradition. Hey, I'm getting the hang of this now. Yep. I'm going to refer to Ronnie's son as Little Ronnie. It flows a little easier than Ronnie the Fourth, and while I'm not a big, huge fan of implying that this sweet little boy was a miniature of his father, I just need a way to distinguish the two of them. And little Ronnie just makes it easier. Yeah, it'll help us keep it straight. Mm -hmm. Embracing the family man lifestyle, Ronnie joined a local social group called Build Your Community after meeting the group's leader at a Tampa community center in 2010. The group worked in impoverished inner-city neighbourhoods, providing mentorship opportunities. Mentors would offer classes in boxing and self-defence and encourage youth to become responsible for their environments and their communities. Their teachings promoted peace. Ronnie became intrigued by the group's leader, Jaha Mohammed, and subsequently started studying Islam. He started taking classes on religion and self-improvement. The Islam religion became central to his faith, and he became a devout Muslim and joined the Nation of Islam organization.
0: Okay. It sounds like he's trying to make some good improvements in his life. Like, I'm wondering where this is going to turn. He was trying
1: to make positive improvements. But Kiki did not share Ronnie's same beliefs, and the topic became quite a rift between them. Oh. Among other things.
0: And was he trying to impose his newfound beliefs on her? Yes. Okay. I can see how that would not go over well. No, not at
1: all. And it wasn't the only problem that the couple had. Ronnie was frequently in trouble with the law. So while he was touting to be this new religious remade-over man, he was... He was having a hard time cutting old ties? Exactly. His arrest record showed three previous charges. One for attempting to defraud someone of food and a place to stay, possession of marijuana, and driving without a valid license. So nothing huge, but pretty minor infractions. Yeah, but he still did have this relationship with law enforcement. Ronnie's behavior as an adult was becoming increasingly erratic, and he became more and more committed to his new belief system. The troubles in the relationship ran deep, and the two separated not long after. A year after little Ronnie was born, Kiki filed a paternity petition in the family court to decide who was little Ronnie's biological father.
0: Oh, there was question. Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: Like I said, they had a tumultuous relationship. Yep. No judgment. That's
0: just the facts.
1: But on Kiki's part, it was an effort to get Ronnie to pay child support.
0: Oh, so maybe she's doing it more so to prove this is your son you need to pay up. Right.
1: And it was him that was denying it.
0: Oh, okay. So it wasn't necessarily that she was unsure who the father was? No, it didn't sound that way.
1: Okay. The court determined that Ronnie O'Neill III was the biological father of Ronnie O'Neill IV.
0: I'd be like, see you little dirtbag, flinging that
1: paper in his face. That's right. Just shoving it in his face, just like on Mori Povich. <laughs> That's right. Ronnie was ordered to financially support his children, which he did intermittently. Ronnie moved on and began a new relationship with a new girlfriend, Leisha Robinson, and had a new baby in 2016. In October 2017, Ronnie was standing in a group of people outside of the 400 block of East Nordica Street at Robles Park Village, a low-income housing complex, when he was shot in a drive-by shooting.
0: Was he the intended victim?
1: No, it doesn't seem he was. The area had a high crime rate, and gun violence and drive-bys in the area were frequent occurrences. I went down a whole rabbit hole learning about this housing complex. It was discovered during a reno in 2019 that five of the housing complex buildings were built over top of what is believed to be the city's first African-American burial grounds. No way. Mm -hmm. When the apartment complex was built in the 1950s, they were aware of the cemetery, but they had believed that the bodies had previously been removed. Or at least that's the story they told so that they could continue going on with the apartment buildings.
0: But they weren't all removed.
1: No. Later, environmental studies done with ground-penetrating radar detected 126 coffins.
0: No way! That's a lot!
1: Mm-hmm. It was a really interesting story, so it was this whole rabbit hole for me.
0: That is wild. Can you imagine how that would feel to find out that this house that you were living in is literally built over top of dead bodies?
1: No, the tenants there were given the option of vacating or staying.
0: Wow. And it seems so disrespectful for the bodies that you're on top of, too. hmm Like, that's not okay.
1: No. They eventually did tear down all of the buildings there and rebuild new housing complexes. And in the center, they put a memorial to the graves that they had to move.
0: Wow. So do you think because it was lower income that the officials knew that the bodies were there and just decided to build the housing anyway? Or did someone just miss it?
1: No, it sounded like they knew the bodies were there and they might not have wanted to spend the money to move them. So they just said, oh, yeah, there's no bodies in there. Oh, dirty dogs. Mm -hmm. I don't know the whole story. I didn't dig that deeply, but there is a whole rabbit hole that you could go down there. It's quite an interesting area.
0: Sounds questionable.
1: Yeah. The whole area sounds a little bit sketchy, especially at the time that Ronnie was shot. There were three others shot along with him during this incident, and the police never got to the bottom of the shooting, blaming it on the fact that witnesses and victims would not cooperate with the investigation. It was chalked up to a random shooting, and there wasn't a lot further to investigate.
0: That sounds like a whole other rabbit hole we could go down.
1: Oh, absolutely it would have been. The papers reported that the shooting resulted in no life-threatening injuries, But Ronnie said that his heart stopped four times during the surgery that was performed that night.
0: Ooh, I would say that's life-threatening. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) You kind of need that heart running. Exactly.
1: Ronnie had to spend an extended time in the hospital to recover after that. As he recovered, he became more committed to working with the Build Your Community Group and preventing violence. He felt his life had a greater purpose, telling the host at a local radio station, WTMP, during an interview that, Quote, I knew that God had me. He became increasingly religious after his near-death experience and displayed increasingly erratic behavior. When he was released from hospital and needed a place to stay, he had difficulty talking anyone into letting him stay with them. He and Leisha had broken up by this time and while he maintained a relationship with his second son, she wasn't willing to have Ronnie stay with her. Neither were his parents, extended family or any of his friends.
0: Ooh, that says something. If Mm -hmm. everybody you know doesn't
1: want you around. Exactly. Ronnie's behavior in recent years had become quite odd, but it was even more so after the shooting. That's how Ronnie, at age 29, ended up staying with Kiki and his two oldest children, despite multiple people warning
0: Kiki that it was not a good idea, including her own mother. Oh, my goodness. That is heartbreaking, knowing that he's going to murder them. It is, but she just
1: had such a soft heart and she just wanted to help. Oh, it's so sad. He's such a dirtbag already. Mhm. On the night of March 18th, Kiki placed a horrifying call to 911 at 11:43 p.m., pleading for help, screaming, quote, "I'm shot, please help me. I'm shot, help me please." During the call, she repeatedly can be heard saying, "I'm sorry" over and over again and saying, quote, "I can't move my arm. My arm is shot up, Ronnie, please." And shouting, "He's attacking me." Police were immediately dispatched to her Riverview home. Police would arrive on scene just a short time later, but it would already be too late for Kiki and her child. The sequence of events given is not definite, but I'll do my best to piece events together of what happened that horrible night. The horror had begun a short time earlier, when Ronnie and Kiki had begun to argue in their bedroom.
0: Oh, he was staying in her room? Not even just on the couch?
1: It appeared that way. Okay. Yeah. Little Ronnie watched from his bedroom down the hall as his parents argued. The fight was believed to have been started with a discussion on religion. Kiki and Leisha had also argued a lot during that day about Ronnie. So there might have been some of contention over those conversations as well. Either way, the argument became heated. And when little Ronnie's mom saw him watching the fight, she told him to go back to his room. Before he did... He saw his father point a shotgun at his mother. No way. Mm Mm-hmm. It was the one that was kept under the bed in his mom's room. He then watched as his mom ran towards him and then into his sister's room. Ronivia was awakened by the noise and sat up in bed and watched as Ronnie followed Kiki into her room (gasps) and went to where Kiki was hiding in the bedroom closet as she was trying to frantically dial 911. Oh, my goodness. Ronnie stood over the mother of his children and fired the gun. That was the first gunshot that little Ronnie heard. It was followed by his dad calling him and telling him to walk around the room and chant. Ronnie directed his son to repeat the words, Allahu Akbar, meaning God is great, as he walked in circles in the front room, and then he called him into Ranivia's room. As Kiki hid in the closet, she was able to connect with the 911 dispatcher. Ronnie's commands for his son to help him shoot Kiki can be heard along with her pleas for her life.
0: He's telling his son to shoot his mother.
1: Yes. The dirtbag Ronnie directed his son to help him shoot his own mother again, holding his eight-year-old son against his body and helping him aim the gun while Kiki begged.
0: No. Yeah.
1: Little Ronnie says he doesn't remember the gun going off, and it's not clear if this is when Kiki was shot the second time or if that injury happened during the struggle that was yet to come. But crime scene investigators would find three spent casings, a live round, and shotgun slugs in the closet along with Kiki's blood.
0: That's terrible. I thought it was bad enough that he's making his little kid walk around chanting while his mother's being shot, but then to bring him in and make him help?
1: Yeah. That's despicable. It is. And like I said, little Ronnie, he doesn't remember if... He actually pulled the trigger or if the gun went off while he was holding it or anything. He's blocked that all. So traumatic for him. Mm-hmm. Ronnie then sent his son to collect a hunting knife from the garage. And somehow, this is when Kiki pushed her way out of the closet and ran for her life. Little Ronnie watched his mum run out of the house with his dad following, still holding the shotgun. Kiki's frantic cries can still be heard throughout the short 911 call as she runs from her home to the neighbor's doorsteps. In the background, Ronnie can be heard yelling as well, saying, She killed me and Allahu Akbar. The call lasted roughly four minutes before it was disconnected. But the horror didn't end with the end of the call. A neighbor witnessed Kiki running for her life and said that Ronnie grabbed her and he stood over her, striking her three times and shot her. But there's a discrepancy of whether the shot was heard inside or outside the house.
0: But he's striking her outside of the house.
1: Yeah, Ronnie beat Kiki with the shotgun, delivering over 15 vicious blows to Kiki's head, fracturing her skull in several places along her jaw and the base of her skull. Kiki died from blunt force trauma.
0: Oh my goodness, that would have been so painful.
1: Mm-hmm. She also had gunshot wounds to her right elbow and the back of her right shoulder. Ronnie had beat her so viciously with the gun that it was found bent and in pieces at the crime scene.
0: Holy cow. And being shot in the back of the shoulder, to me, would indicate that she was running away when she got shot.
1: Mm -hmm. Or at some point while she was trying to escape. That's when he shot her.
0: Or she was turning around trying to shield herself.
1: In the closet. Yeah. Another witness, James Gray, was at his fiance's house that night when they heard screams and the commotion at her front door. He went to see what was going on, and that's when he saw Ronnie standing over Kiki, who was lying on the ground, on her stomach unresponsive. Ronnie was still holding her limp left arm as he beat her with his right arm. When Ronnie noticed the neighbor watching him, he began to yell, quote, you don't understand, you don't understand, she killed me, as he backed away back into the house where his two children were. All of his screams were intermixed with the same chant. As Ronnie re-entered his home, he went back to his daughter's room and dragged nine-year-old Ronivia into the master bedroom with one arm.
0: And she's witnessed all this. She would have seen her mother being shot in the closet.
1: Right. But remember, she's nonverbal. She couldn't say anything. That's right. She could just scream herself. And she's wheelchair bound. She could walk a little bit. Okay. But yes, she got along better in a wheelchair. So she couldn't flee. Oh, that is sad. When he had her in the master bedroom, he beat her on the back of the head with an axe as little Ronnie again watched in horror as his sister's eyes rolled back into her head. Why? Nobody can understand why he beat her. It's not like she could have told anybody or been a witness or anything. Oh,
0: and that is vicious with an axe. Mm -hmm.
1: He continued to beat her and stab at this sweet, innocent little angel that was described by those who knew her as always being positive and always loving. Despite struggling to communicate with others... Love just emanated from her. Oh, I can
0: just picture her. But
1: one hit wasn't enough for this vicious, out-of-control monster. He chopped at her head, neck, and torso, severing her spinal cord and breaking several bones in her body. He continued to beat her until she was unrecognizable.
0: Derpig isn't even a strong enough word to describe him. This is evil evil. It's so evil
1: and so abrupt and sudden.
0: Yeah, he had no reason, like you said, to harm his child.
1: None at all. But he's not done. Ronnie then turned his attention to taking care of the evidence and his son. Ronnie called his stepfather, Billy, and started to yell, quote, Kiki is trying to kill me. Kiki is trying to kill me. They're trying to kill me. And then he hung up.
0: And meanwhile, is she still out on the lawn or has he drug her into the house?
1: No, she's still out on the lawn. She <sighs> is dead by this time. And Billy tried to call the house back several times, and when Ronnie wouldn't pick up his phone again, Billy and Lisa drove over to the house. But like the police, they were too late. They arrived when the police were already starting to do their investigation and tape off the crime scene.
0: Oh, can you imagine? They're thinking he's in danger, and then driving up and seeing the police taping off the home? You would think something happened to your son.
1: Mm -hmm. They knew just by his frantic voice that something was wrong.
0: Well, and he's saying Kiki's trying to kill me. So you'd be worried about him not realizing that he's the perpetrator.
1: It would have been horrifying. Yeah. One minute after that call he made to his stepfather, Ronnie made his own call to 911 at 1149 and told the dispatcher that he had just been attacked and that Kiki had tried to kill him and that he had killed her in self-defense. Oh my goodness. Next, Ronnie entered the garage and collected gasoline. He pushed little Ronnie to the ground in the garage, placing his foot on top of the young boy, and then poured gas all over top of him and lit a tissue with a match and tried to set him on fire. What is wrong with this guy? He's just lost it. He just went berserk.
0: Yeah, because this is such a brutal way to kill your family. There's way less violent ways that he could have got the job done if that's what he really wanted to do. Axing your daughter to death and trying to light your son on fire is not it. No, honestly, I
1: think he lost it.
0: Yeah, this is extreme Mm-hmm. on innocent little children.
1: It is just so bizarre and so horrific. When his father tried to light him on fire, little Ronnie fought and ran from the garage into the kitchen, and that's where this dirtbag poor excuse of a father stabbed his son repeatedly. It's not clear if the knife he used was the same hunting one that he had sent little Ronnie to collect from the garage. Oh. Several bloody knives would be found on the kitchen floor during the investigation. Ronnie poured gasoline throughout the house, going to the master bedroom and pouring it all over Ronivia. He set her tiny body on fire and closed the door to the room as his son was still watching, because little Ronnie was still awake and laying on the kitchen floor, able to see that bedroom door.
0: After being doused with gasoline and stabbed by his father, the man who's supposed to protect him. Yep. I cannot even imagine what was going through that little boy's mind. I can't either. After having seen him just viciously
1: beat his mother, making him participate, and then watching him beat his sister, and then being set on fire yourself.
0: Yeah. So Ronnie must have assumed that little Ronnie was dead.
1: Yes, he did. Ronnie proceeded to start fires all over the house, in the other bedroom and in the living room. When police arrived, the scene was chaotic. Flames were visibly coming from the house. Kiki's lifeless body lay face down on the sidewalk, and there was blood and pieces of the broken gun all over the front yard. As they arrived, little Ronnie somehow, miraculously, found his way to the front door and stumbled out, just as police and ambulance were pulling up. When he saw that there was someone there to help, he collapsed. He was eviscerated and burned, smoke still rolling off his small body. He was rushed to the hospital where he was treated for stab wounds to his chest, both sides of his neck and face, his right arm, his right thigh and abdomen, along with burns to almost a quarter of his body.
0: Oh, I can't imagine a parent doing that.
1: I can't imagine how this little boy had the strength to live through this. Yeah.
0: And just how stoic he was to make it to the door until he knew there was help. He knew he had to get himself to safety Mm -hmm. and then he collapsed.
1: Or else he was going to burn alive.
0: Even just that realization that this is what your father did. This is what daddy did.
1: He watched him and he was fully aware that it was his dad. He hadn't lost consciousness at this point. While being transported, he told first responders that his dad killed his mom. More horror awaited the first responders in the house as well. A firefighter recounts crawling through the multiple knives on the kitchen floor and becoming aware of slipping in little Ronnie's blood as he crept through the house. One firefighter on the scene pulled Renivia's lifeless body from the fire and then wept into another firefighter's arms because of the horror that she had endured. They could tell that she had been beat so viciously that they just started weeping.
0: Well, and mutilated, really. I can't imagine how traumatic that would have been for them. You don't recover from something like that.
1: They all live with those images. While first responders fought the blaze and tried to understand what had happened in the family home that night, Ronnie emerged from the house smelling like gasoline. His own hands were burned and he was covered with blood. He resisted officers and had to be subdued with a taser to be taken into custody. He was just out of control. Oh, I don't
0: know how those officers can even control their anger in that moment.
1: No, not after seeing what he had done to his two children.
0: Little babies.
1: Let alone Kiki, who's laying out on the steps.
0: That's horrific enough, but it is a whole new ballgame when you're talking about children.
1: Yeah, I don't know how he did it.
0: Not to dismiss what happened to her, but it takes an extra kind of dirtbag to do that to a child.
1: And your own child.
0: Yeah, especially a defenseless child.
1: Yeah, Renivia never had a chance. Mm -mm. When police finally got Ronnie into the back of their car, he mumbled repetitively about Kiki being the devil and that the devil had tried to kill him and the kids were the devil's spawn.
0: They're your spawn, honey.
1: Yeah, he was right. He was just referring to the wrong parent. Exactly. Ronnie was charged with first-degree premeditated murder of Kenyatta Baron and his nine-year-old daughter, Renivia. He was also charged with the attempted murder of his eight-year-old son, Ronnie IV, as well as arson and aggravated child abuse. His trial began in June 2021 after he was found fit to stand trial. Good. I'm glad. While psychologists had found that he had displayed symptoms of a delusional disorder with strong religious undertones, bipolar disorder, and PTSD from the recent shooting and the childhood sexual assault, it was determined that these did not have a direct relationship on his guilt. He was deemed to have known what he did was wrong.
0: Okay, that was my question. Did he know what was wrong?
1: Yeah, he had called his stepfather and 911, laying out a potential alibi for his actions in a calculating and self-serving way. And he had started the fire to cover up evidence. All of that was proof that he knew what he was doing was wrong.
0: That's true. He had his whereabouts with him. Because if he didn't, often what happens is police show up and the perp is just sitting there. They're not resisting arrest like he did. He had to be tased. So he knew he had done something wrong.
1: Right. There was a lot of discussion, though, because just setting fire to the house, a lot argued that he was just out of control and was just burning the whole place down to get rid of the devil.
0: Yeah, that I could see.
1: But it was the call to 911 and to his stepfather that were the cinchers of, no, you tried to set up an alibi for yourself because he called his dad after he knew that Kiki was
0: dead. Right. He wanted to change the narrative. To make him look like he was the victim. That's exactly what the dirtbag tried to do. Oh, he's disgusting. Mm-hmm.
1: Ronnie did plead not guilty to all charges, claiming that he had acted in self-defense.
0: Oh, your little daughter, who has cerebral palsy and autism, is nonverbal and needs a wheelchair. You had to defend yourself with an axe against her?
1: Well, we're going to get into what he claims happened.
0: I want to knock his head right now, honestly. An even more outrageous decision
1: was that he chose to represent himself. Oh, of course he did. Yes. It isn't that uncommon for someone to represent themselves during a criminal case, but it is very unusual in a murder case, especially when there's the death penalty on the table.
0: Good. I'm glad he was dumb enough to want to represent himself. And to me, that's always such an ego move. You think you're going to do a better job than someone who has studied and gone to school and has done this before this is not their first rodeo but no you you can do a better job it was out of this world to watch his trial or did he think that oh because i'm religious i'm gonna be saved and get through this
1: that could have been part of it ronnie's self-representation was something else his opening statements shocked everybody in the courtroom as he blamed kiki for his crimes and he had to be told several times to stop dramatically yelling at the judge, attorneys, and the jurors. Ronnie claimed that Kiki had attacked their children, and then had tried to attack him. That he had killed her to defend himself and avenge his children. He said that, quote, just like any father would have done, he acted out of pure instinct and passion.
0: So is he saying that Kiki killed their daughter and had attempted to kill their son? Yes. So maybe that's why he went after them, to make it look like I had to kill her because this is what she did. Maybe. And even if he did, even if that is his reason, that just shows what a selfish SOB that he is, honestly.
1: Absolutely. If that was part of his plan, he was willing to kill his own children just to get off of murdering his ex-girlfriend.
0: Yeah, to get away with murder. That his freedom was more important than their lives.
1: I don't think that that was the case. I think he literally lost it.
0: And then just got creative with the excuse later?
1: Yes. yes.
0: He's gross. I hate this guy.
1: You're going to hate him even more as he continues to act out during his trial. He also claimed that his son's brave testimony against him was fabricated and coached and that the police lied and planted evidence against him. And that they had even beat Kiki's body further to make him look more like a madman.
0: Okay, yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because that's what they do. Mm -hmm. That's so plausible. We all believe you. You poor thing. The first responders were traumatized. They were not going to be inflicting more damage to those victims.
1: No, but he had the audacity to blame them.
0: Right. They were literally crying in each other's arms.
1: Mm -hmm. His trial is just outrageous. For all of his claims, though, there was no proof of anything that he claimed. The prosecution had mountains of evidence against him, which they presented over four days. One of the most bizarre and emotional moments in the trial came when Ronnie questioned his own son, confronting him about what he had seen and what he remembered that night.
0: They let him question his son? They did. No way. Yep. Okay, lock them all up. That's criminal. You don't let the person who has just tried to kill this eight-year-old little boy, cross-examine him.
1: It was so emotional, but little Ronnie did amazing. They didn't have him in the same courtroom. He was only appearing via video, and he had support people with him and a support animal, but I was shocked that they would let him cross-examine his own son.
0: Yeah, no. A little boy shouldn't even be cross-examined. Who had to go through something like that? He should just have his statement. That should be played for the court. That's it.
1: No, they sat him in front of his dad. He opens up his cross-examination by saying, oh, hey, buddy, how you doing? And his son's like, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, I miss you, buddy.
0: Oh, I got a lot of anger in this one, Melissa.
1: It was crazy, Chrissy.
0: Excuse me, but you have lost that right to call him buddy and ask him how he's doing. If you had your way, he would be in the ground with his mother and sister.
1: It's just so bizarre to watch.
0: So many emotions while watching him do that to
1: his son and act like it was no big deal. Little Ronnie, 11 at the time of the trial, did so well on the stand as he faced his father with such bravery. When asked by his father how his father had hurt him, he told them, quote, you stabbed me. It was surreal to watch this dirtbag display no emotion at that statement. And what really is interesting is Ronnie is smart enough to catch inconsistencies from his original statements to his testimony given to the court, and he grills him on it.
0: Yeah, he's trying to throw his son under the bus, when normally a parent would be trying to help their child through something like this, would be wanting to protect their child through something like this, but he was perfectly fine victimizing his son once again.
1: He was perfectly fine forcing him to live through those traumatic moments over and over again. It's unreal. Another bizarre moment, and almost heartwarming but truly bizarre, came during the trial when Ronnie thanked the detective, Mike Blair, who had adopted little Ronnie after the murders. Mike, now a corporal, connected in the hospital room while little Ronnie was being questioned. They both had a love of football. Then one night, little Ronnie asked the detective if he could watch a movie with him. The poor little guy was all alone in the hospital recovering at the time. His mom and his sister were both dead, and his dad was in jail for their murders.
0: And there was no extended family? Like, where's grandma? Where's the aunties? Where's anybody? It
1: didn't seem like they were around all the time. And so there was one evening that he was left
0: all alone. Okay, I see. So it's not like he was left completely alone for the whole time. No. no. Okay, I see what you're saying.
1: Mike was supposed to go on a date that night with his wife, Danielle. Instead, they changed their plans and both hung out in the hospital.
0: That is really heartwarming. That is.
1: When a placement with extended family failed, little Ronnie's caseworker reached out to the detective to see if there was anyone else he knew that would be willing to take in the recovering child. Mike didn't hesitate to say that he and his wife would be happy to take him. Oh. Danielle and their five other children were all on board with bringing little Ronnie into their home.
0: That's incredible.
1: The adoption was finalized in November of 2019 prior to the beginning of the trial. So Mike testified at the trial about the scene that he had observed because he was there the night of the murders. At the trial during his cross-examination, Ronnie's only question to Mike was a statement. He said, quote, thank you, sir, for all you've done. From the bottom of my heart to the top of my head, no further questions.
0: You're going to grill your son. But to this guy, you're going to be like, thanks, man. You helped me out. Yeah, thanks for doing me a solid. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that.
1: He is a bizarre character.
0: I would have thought that he would have been jealous, like that's my son. I would have said something like that to him instead. No, he's grateful. Hmm. I wonder if that was just for show. I have a hard time believing that he's grateful for anything that isn't all about him.
1: No, I actually believe him.
0: You do? (laughs) Yes, but I believe a lot of people. (laughs) Well, it's clear he only cares about himself. He doesn't actually care about his son. So I don't know. Yeah, I almost think he recognized
1: that the guy was doing a favor and he knew that social decorum required him to say thank you to somebody that the jury and others were emotionally connecting with. Right. It was less about the emotions that he was feeling towards the police officer and more about this is what I know to be appropriate to do during this situation.
0: That's what I think. It was more for show.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it was for show because there are so many things that he does that don't paint him in a good light. Okay, I really just don't think he had the emotional intelligence to even feel that way. He's not just putting on a show because he makes himself look so guilty. Okay. When it was his turn to present his defense, Ronnie called only three witnesses of his own and rested his case just after 30 minutes. Oh. Yeah.
0: Often just a closing argument itself is longer than 30 minutes. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And in his closing argument, he again became agitated and yelled his defense arguments at the jury, proclaiming that he had only done what he needed to do to avenge his children like any other father would have done. It is the most outrageous thing. He gets up and says, I did kill Kiki.
0: And often with people like this, I wonder why they don't understand that just because you scream it doesn't make it more true or doesn't make it less of a lie.
1: Yeah. His whole behavior is so bizarre. I'm actually quite shocked that he was allowed to represent himself.
0: Yeah. And as a jury member, if this man, who you know has killed this woman and had attacked the children as well, if they're screaming at me in the courtroom, I'm probably not feeling convinced. I'm feeling afraid.
1: Exactly. On June 21st, 2021, in a little less than five hours of deliberations, nine men and three women found Ronnie O'Neill, then age 32, guilty on all counts against him. And on the 25th, they also voted against the death penalty unanimously.
0: Against? Mm Mm-hmm. So Ronnie didn't bring up any of the religious aspect of it. He didn't say, oh, she was the devil and these were her spawn.
1: No, he blamed it all on Kiki, saying that she did murder their children. And he was just avenging their death and she tried to murder him.
0: Oh, my. Even though his son is saying, Dad, you stabbed me.
1: Yep. The prosecution did let those pieces be known.
0: So thankfully, I mean, it's not surprising that this was a guilty verdict, but I am surprised that it was voted against the death penalty.
1: I think the vote against the death penalty speaks to how the jurors felt about his conduct during the trial. I think it was very clear that he had some issues. Right. That makes sense. And so I don't think any of them felt comfortable sending him to the electric chair. Because even for a death penalty to be turned down, only one needs to vote against it. And it was a unanimous vote against it. Okay. And it's even more interesting because during the pretrial proceedings, Ronnie had told potential jurors that, quote, when it comes to the death penalty, I just want to tell y'all that me personally, I am for it. If somebody has committed these crimes, they are worthy of death.
0: Oh, to justify his actions, like because this is why I killed Kiki, because she actually committed these crimes.
1: Yeah. He actually does quite a good job. Other than his emotional outburst, his reasoning on most of his arguments is quite sound. Hmm. After the jurors left, the judge, Michelle Sisko, commented on Ronnie's competent defense but encouraged him to consider allowing a state-appointed attorney to take over for the rest of the sentencing saying, quote, as you are aware, it gets no more serious for any defendant in any criminal courtroom in this country than what you are facing now. I am really going to strongly encourage you to consider allowing counsel to step in and represent you. So she actually tells him, like, you actually did a pretty good job for most people that don't know the law.
0: Hmm. So he could actually have made something good of himself.
1: Mm-hmm. Ronnie did follow the judge's advice. For the sentencing, his appointed lawyers called a forensic psychologist that had examined Ronnie in 2018 after the murders to testify that during the murders, quote, Mr. O'Neill's ability to appreciate and conform his ability was impaired because of his disorders with PTSD, the delusional disorder where his reality testing is somewhat impaired. He doesn't see reality quite accurately many times. Ronnie had never called this defense witness during the trial. He also didn't plan to speak on his own behalf during the sentencing and he probably should have stuck with that. But once again, his emotions got the better of him. And he said that he felt, quote, really, really moved by the victim impact statements and then started to yell that, quote, at first, I want to say I am not sorry for the things I didn't do. And I am not sorry for the things I did do. Becoming a little bit quieter, he turned toward Kiki's family and said, but I will say I'm sorry for your loss. Then he rambled on at length to family members in the courtroom, refusing to face the judge, even as she ordered him to do so. He said he would prefer the death penalty over life in prison, but was saved by, quote, the one true God. He said that he was the one person that loved Kiki and his children the most and confronted the jury asking them, quote, do I look like I'm insane to you? Do I look insane? And if I'm able to represent myself in trial, you have to ask yourself, why would a man kill his own children who he loved?
0: Yeah, exactly, Ronnie. And yes, you do look insane. And I hope you do rot away in prison and they lock you up and they throw away that key.
1: While well, someone in the courtroom yelled back "Adam, because you're evil.
0: Exactly.
1: And that's exactly what he is. It was more of a continuation of the bizarre behavior that he had displayed while jurors were making the choice about the death penalty when he held up a paper sign with love you written on it towards the jurors.
0: Oh my gosh, he sounds like a complete narcissist.
1: Yeah, his behavior is just bizarre. On July 23rd, 2021, after listening to the numerous victim impact statements and the defense's arguments about Ronnie's past and mental health, The judge sentenced him to three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole for the murder and the attempted murder charges, and another 90 years for the arson, child abuse, and resisting arrest charges. While delivering her closing remarks, the judge remarked that the trial had been one of the worst she had ever listened to, and that, quote, it was all she could do to avoid bursting into tears. Wow. Ronnie O'Neill III is currently incarcerated at the Liberty Correctional Institution in Bristol, Florida, and has already begun appeal processes against his convictions. And that is the case of the fanatically disturbed Ronnie O'Neill III, the devilish dirtbag that repaid kindness with murder in a fit of delusional rage.
0: Wow, that was a terrible case, but you told it so well. Did you ever find out what the initial fight was about? Was it about religion?
1: That's what it was believed to be about. He had wanted the children to be doing certain things, and Kiki didn't want them to have to do the chant and okay. things like that. Wow. And so because she was refusing, he viewed her as evil. Mm-hmm. It sounded like the tensions were already running high that day because Kiki and his other ex-girlfriend were having arguments amongst themselves.
0: Okay.
1: And so tensions were high. Right. And it just escalated out of control.
0: Wow. That was an unreal case. Well, you did it again, Melissa. You got me totally riled. I don't want to leave you on a riled note. So I wanted to end with another update
1: about little Ronnie. Because his family's been quite open about their adoption. By all accounts, he is adjusting well. He said, quote, they are really nice people. They really take care of me. There is no one else better than them. Aww. Since adopting little Ronnie, the whole family have adopted a mantra of, quote, I am safe, I am loved, I am a part of this family. That's beautiful. And it is something that little Ronnie repeats to himself whenever he is
0: stressed, and it helps bring him peace. Oh, he was put in the right hands. It's not by chance that it didn't work out for any of his extended family to be able to adopt him. And that this family was ready. And then they were approached and offered.
1: I just find it so fitting that after living through something so horrific, that he's
0: found a safe place now. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure his mom and sister are looking over him. He honestly is a little hero. Well, he's probably not little anymore, but he is a hero in this case. Absolutely,
1: he was. First of all, to have the strength and the courage to fight through what he lived through and then to face his dad on the stand is just incredible to me. He's remarkable. Just so happy now that he has found some peace and a place where he belongs. Absolutely. And listeners, we hope that you find a special something to bring you some peace this week. Until we're back with you again when Christy has another case. Until then. See ya. Bye. This mic is just in a weird place. Now I have to move it. Seems high, doesn't it?
0: have to make sure my <laughs> Melissa is comfortable.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. Whatever she needs. I
1: think I am comfortable here.
0: No way. Chil- Childs? Mm-hmm. Is it, should it be children? Nope. Childs is the right way to say it? Yep. Because it's only one. Oh. Well, I saw two. <laughs> I know. I, I did say like, two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Scratch all that. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I was like, Melissa, that's not the plural of child. <laughs>
1: Crazy, craziness. Oh, yeah, that's what I had needed to look up. That was the word I needed. Craziness? No. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you were thinking? No, but good point.
0: You're making eyes <laughs> at me. It's making me nervous. No, I was going to say. That makes me want to swear.
1: Yeah, it made me want to come across the table and like, just strangle him. She had actually been praying to soften Mike's heart because Mike was like, no, we can't do this. Like, even though he felt bad for the little boy and he wanted him, he's like, no, this, he couldn't wrap his head around it.
0: And we already have five children.
1: Yeah. And so she had been praying that they would have an opportunity to bring him into their home. And even his kids were like, dad, you need to listen to mom on this.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. So sweet, right? Okay. that gave me goosebumps even on my legs. Bring it together. (laughs) you watched it all so i'll trust (laughs) you my eyeball is twitching (laughs) this case is making my eyeball twitch hey we're live pal and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast tales from the estate each week we talk about our top five favorite somethings my beautiful wife caitlin likes to share all sorts of random facts yeah did you know that cows have accents we did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, uh-huh. thanks. Bye. I'm Matt kundle host of The Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.